Let's just go. Okay. Let's go. Uh, all right. Welcome to Tear Gas and Gumdrops, the podcast about the pain and sweetness of ministry and mission. My name is Chris Morton, and I am coming to you from Austin, Texas. I'm here with my fellow pod pastor, Kyle Sapp, coming to you live from uh, Rancho Cordova, California. You really talked fast in that intro, by the way. Well, we got to get to the good stuff. I guess. Good grief. (laughs) Got to get to the good stuff. Yeah, uh, and we've got a lot of good stuff. Um, this is going to be, I think, our third ever interview that we've done today, um, and uh, we've got our friend Caleb here with us. So, uh, Kyle, why don't you uh, just briefly tell us a little, a little bit about Caleb, and then we'll let Caleb tell him tell us more <laughs> about himself. So. Uh, okay. Uh, so, Caleb and I went to college at Harding. Me too. Uh, Caleb was a Bible major, as I recall. Um, and now Caleb is church planting in Providence, Rhode Island, which um, is apparently near everything in the state of Rhode Island. So, uh, yeah, Caleb, Caleb is a cool guy. He's doing some cool things. Um, and I will let Caleb tell you more about Caleb because he's right here and it feels weird talking about him while yeah. he's on video. Well, welcome to the show, Uh you and I haven't talked in a really long time, so why don't you uh, just really quick uh, tell us a little bit about your ministry background and how you landed there in Providence and what kind of your uh, what you're hoping to see happen there, what your context is like there. Get uh, paint a paint picture of who you are and where you're at. Yeah, absolutely, no problem. We're um, we started this. I was a youth ministry major back in college. That's where Kyle and I met. And uh, we pretty quickly decided we weren't actually going to do youth ministry. We kind of got the degree and knew we weren't ever going to use it. Uh, we got interested. You know, like some guys are like really just called to minister to young people. They just love the kids. And other guys. Yeah, go just ahead. Just love the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But other guys um, just do it because they know they're 19 and nobody would hire them to do anything else exactly. at a church. Yeah. And I just realized pretty quickly that I was I was one of those latter people, you know. <laughs> right. So I'm glad uh, you realized that because a lot of guys don't realize that, or gals, you know, don't realize they've just been kind of funneled into that. And sadly, that's like a lot of churches' only discipleship approach. <laughs> I'm like, come be our youth minister, and we'll disciple <laughs> you by telling you when you did it wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And honestly, um, so, I, I thought you were a, a missions major at, at Harding. I didn't know you were a youth ministry major. Yeah, man, that's why we were. That's why we had to sit through some of those classes together. So. I just thought you were. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, we were doing this like uh, we were doing youth ministry, but then we got really interested in foreign missions. But then um, the and indoor who, who plumbing is we? thing. You kept and the, saying we. Oh, I'm sorry. My wife and I. <laughs> we are. Uh, Fran and I are a team. We really do uh, our ministry together in a lot of ways. And really the core of everything we do is together. And so I tend to say we a lot. Cool. And I forget yeah, other no, people no. don't know that. Yeah. So, yeah. So Fran and I were getting done. We'd both gotten degrees in youth ministry. We were interested in doing uh, mission work. Um, but she was pretty strong on the indoor plumbing and the speaking English <laughs> stuff. And that so that happens. kind of limits your options. Uh, we started looking at New Zealand, and we were with the team, but that team really wasn't the best fit for us. And then we met uh, Stan Granberg, who's the executive director at Kairos Church Planning. Mm-hmm. And Stan said, well, hey, you guys could do a lot of these things you want to do and just do it here in the United States. 
And it sounds really dumb to me now that I've been in like a broader evangelical culture where everybody just church planting domestically. But from where we had grown up and where we came from, it was a totally foreign idea. The idea that we could do something totally contextually different in the United States and work like missionaries in the U.S. was just something that had never come to cross our minds before. And so, yeah, said, no, I yeah. D- don't feel weird about that because I think, I think what you're talking about is that um, maybe you have a gifting, or maybe there are people who have a gifting that doesn't fit the system that you came out of, <laughs> and this happens a lot because the system is set up to do what, like, well, self propagate itself <laughs> keep pro- keep right. the system running um w- was that hard for you was that lonely for you i don't want to i'm trying not to impose yeah. too much of myself yeah. but no, I, no, way, no, to, no. way to project baggage <laughs> no I, I mean i guess what i would say is um like when we went to new zealand um mm-hmm. there were some things about that way that team was shaping up that just sort of felt wrong and we had no vocab for it like we mm-hmm. uh, the team we were with wanted to work with a church that already existed there and sort of strengthen their ministry and all that kind of stuff. And it just didn't feel quite right for us, uh, which is okay. Some of those people still moved and we have friends that live in Auckland that are still sort of part of what happened there. But it just, there was something that was weird that just felt dissonant and not right for us with that team and that situation. And what happened is then we met Stan and he said, yeah, we're about planning new churches and new places for new people. And we said, Oh, that's what we want to do. That's why that other thing didn't click with us is because it was an already existent church or an old church. And, you know, that just, it was, you know, in a neighborhood it had been for a long time. And like this call, new places, new people, that was really good for us. Um, And it was helpful. And I think you're right that we don't have the pathways because even within sort of our church planting network, we have this problem that, um, Generally, church planning before you're 30 is not a particularly great idea. Yeah. Uh, you tend to like really reach <laughs> people who are your age or younger. And so if you're trying to plant as a 25-year-old, there's just not a whole lot of like available people to work with. Mm-hmm. And so we've tried to talk about, like, okay, we have somebody who's really on fire for mission, and they're 22. What do we do with them for eight years so they're engaging in that and preparing for a church plant? But we're not putting them in a really terrible situation where they kind of get, you know, burned out or things don't work. Um, I think we, Put you know, I think we ministry. all know people, <laughs> right? You know, I think we all know people that went to do mission work um, domestically in the early twenties, and I just haven't seen a whole lot of cases where that worked out well. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, like, what does a pathway look like? Because if we just send them to go be a youth minister, or go preach somewhere, and come back to us eight years later. They get comfortable, they get settled, mm. they lose that sort of passion for it. If they make so, it yeah. at all, yeah. if they don't right. get burned out. Right? Yeah, man. And, and we so had I just a, think we don't have patterns for this. Uh, it's so true, and it's it shouldn't be that hard. Uh, we're, we're trying to figure that out ourselves. We have a vision of, of planting multiple churches. And um, the so we were... I wouldn't use the word sent. That's too strong. We were platformed by another church here in town. Um, and on our last Sunday there, we're a college town. Um, and this 18-year-old, he's not even a freshman, so might have been 17 at the time, walks up to me. And last Sunday there, and he just kind of looks up to me and he's like, God has called me to plant churches. I'm like, okay, buddy. 
<laughs> you know, I kind of have a little laugh about it. This is a few years ago. Um, and uh, so I go tell Laura and I'm like, this kid, you wouldn't believe it. He, you know, he says, I'm called to plant church. And she just said, shut up. And I was like, what? He's like, she's like, that was you at 18. I'm like, you didn't know me at 18. And I was like, oh, that was totally me at 18. Um, <laughs> but you know what? The next 10 years sucked. Because of what you're just talking about. I didn't have a place. So with him, you know, we've just given him full access to everything we're doing. Like, he can sit in on any meeting. He's a plant, part of planning our gatherings. He, he knows all the things. Um, and, uh, yeah, we want, him, we want him to at least, like, know what it takes. <laughs> um, and, yeah. and get to be a part of it. And get to kind of grow up in it and for it to be normal. Um, and uh, I hope I hope it works out well for him. We'll see. We got it. We've got him for another two years, so we'll we'll see. Yeah, but... I think you're right that there is sometimes a little pain in that too. Like um, we went through Kairos does like an evaluation process for church planners, see if they feel like they're ready to plant or whatever. And we did that at 25. Nobody told us, but we were the youngest couple that had ever gone through that process with them at that mm. point. Mm. And um, they kind of do like this. Uh, green light, yellow light, red light kind of thing. Like, yeah, you're really ready to go or no, it'd really be a bad idea for you to plant a church or the in-between one is like you're gifted for it, but you're just not ready experience wise. And we sort of got that yellow light to start with. And it was an ego bruiser. I mean, the kind of kid I was in school and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) I just like, nobody ever gave me anything, but like, you know, gold stars for everything I had done and just encouraged me to go, faster and quicker and for them to just say hey listen you're really talented but you're still two or three if not five years from having the maturity to do this um that was not something i was really ready to hear i mean it was something that was good for me and in the end i'm (laughs) glad they did it but that was uh it was weird it was just certainly not something i was used to you know Mm. okay so Fill, fill in the gap there. If that was 25, yeah. that was what, about five Charlie, years ago, I guess? Let's wait till Charlie gets to the office. So, <laughs> fill in the gap so for yeah, us there. Seven years ago. So, yeah, yeah, seven years Jeez. ago. So, how did you um, how did you kind of manage that time in between? Did you do anything specific to nurture it? Did you. Yeah. So, Kairos had us work through an apprenticeship. Um, they gave us the name of two people that were working in uh, evangelistic ministries that were doing okay. Our big thing is we didn't know how to hang out with unchurched people. Mm-hmm. Um, shockingly, like eight years in a theological library had not like. <laughs> you don't want to talk them. about Karl Bart and like which which, <laughs> right, exactly. which neighbor brother are we talking about? <laughs> so um, yeah, so that was like just something we really had to work on. And so they said, hey, work with these two guys, one of these two guys. They're doing good work about t- you know, reaching untouched or ugh, reaching unreached people. And um, so we picked one. It happened to be Bruce Bates, who lives in Cumberland, Rhode Island. And we did two years with him between 2010 and 2012. Um, went through evaluation again, and Kairos said we were ready to go at that point, learned the things that we were supposed to learn, and fell in love with the city of Providence. And so started planning a church here. Um, yeah, 2012. So it's been three, going on three and a half years now that we've been in the city. Nice. And so what is the name of your church? Um, it is the Feast Church. It actually goes by several names. Technically, we're the Feast, a Church of Christ. 
But uh, we also usually go by the feast. We found that for New Englanders, the feast was a little too New Agey. It might work out like on the West Coast, but we needed the word church on there. Uh, so even though it feels very odd still, we tend to go by the feast church. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. And why did you choose um, that? I love hearing church plants explain their names. Like Chris's is Austin Mustard Seed, and then there's another one that's, you know, Grapevine Baskets. And so what What was it that <laughs> led you to the the, the feast? Yeah, it's in Possum Grape, Arkansas. It's a whole thing. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. planting churches in Possum Grape, Arkansas. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure they probably actually need it. Um, there's, uh, for us, it was just like, uh, a lot of it was based kind of the two core passages for us were Isaiah 25 and Luke 14. Luke 14 is the parable of the great banquet. Um, just this idea that, uh, we have expectations in our head about where people are that are going to go to church and that like the world is very binary as far as churchgoers and not churchgoers. And those two don't tend to blend over, you know? And so people look at a place like Providence, Rhode Island, and they say, that's a terrible place to plant a church. You know, there's so much unbelief. It's such a, you know, heathen, liberal, East Coast, I-League hellhole or whatever. You know, there's no chance people will believe in Jesus there. And it just kind of, like, it's like, no, there's, and when you look at this banquet, the banquet talks about it's this place where all the people who were invited that you thought would show up just bugged off because they had better things to do. Mm. And all the people who weren't invited in the first place yeah. were the people that ended up filling God's table. I love it. And the thing about God in that context, when you read that passage, God is just frustrated with open chairs. Right? Like, he looks around and his servant says, well, hey, we've already brought all these people in. And God says, too bad. There's still open chairs in here. Go get some more. Um, a lot of places that I've have gone to church or I grew up, you know, like we were 70, 80% full and on budget. We were content that we were doing a good job. And the master in that story looks at any empty chair and tells the servant, no, go out, compel more people to come in. We're not going to be happy until every last chair is filled. And it's just that sort of heart for more and more. And it's funny because I think it sets up Luke 15 too. Mm -hmm. um, if you read these stories, this is why nine coins are not enough. You need a tenth one. It's why 99 sheep are not enough. You need a hundredth one. That hunger of the banquet manager, uh, the banquet um, holder, that he wants more and more people at his table is the same hunger that you have in Luke 15 and all those famous lost parables. Interesting. That's cool. Man, we just got deep on this podcast for once. Yeah. For us. No. But I just love how, how far are you guys in now? So we just launched in October. Uh, we took a very slow path. Uh, when we moved, mm -hmm. it was totally parachute. It was me and my wife and, at that time, our one daughter. And yeah. so we went from three to, you know, building a team over a couple of years. So we just launched in October, Sunday oh. services. and been going since then. Yeah, I mean, we try to eat together With the name, like, The Feast. Oh, yeah. And a oh. lot of our service stuff, like, working, like, working with food kitchens and providing meals for people, like, that's a real quick way that we try to like we're very easy to move into that form of service because it just mm. makes sense for us. Um, so yeah, we follow that a lot. Providence is also a big culinary town. Um, mm, nice. Johnson and Wales university is here, which is like, 
you know, their culinary school is where like Emerald Lagasse and people like that, you know, did their culinary training. And so, oh, wow. um, that was some of the way that we try to tap into it too, is it's just a local, you know, thing to really care about food. So awesome. Chris, do you guys eat a lot of mustard at mustard seed or <laughs> yes. do a lot of planting? Is that a <laughs> mustard based? <laughs> uh, no, but we do put birds on everything. So that's what we say is like our name is Mustard Seed, but our logo is a bird. And if you just want to make a Portlandia joke, that's fine because that means it got in your head. <laughs> we put a lot of birds on a lot of things. Uh, oh, actually, one of one of my goals, I send out a weekly email that's always just like the top announcement for that week. And my goal is to find somewhere on Google a specific image of a bird that matches with what we're doing that week. That's uh, like one of my wait, the highlights wait of my life. Good grief. I wish that was a problem. All right. Well, now we know who you are and where you're at. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's one thing, uh, and maybe we'll have to have you back on the podcast later, uh, but your ser- the way you actually run your service, it feels more engaging than a traditional service, right? You do – how do, uh, how do you – Yeah. Which, yeah. Just break that down for yeah. me. We, we do want to be that. Um, so, you know, when we went through the whole church planning thing, Kairos encouraged us to create four core values, you know, for our community. And one of those values for us was dialogue. Um, we live in a really smart town with a lot of people at very prestigious universities. The idea that, like, we're just going to talk at them and they're just going to accept it and go home and listen to what I said is just kind of arrogant and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And so we feel like communication back and forth has to happen. And we feel like a lot of people have walked away from church because they feel like the church is afraid of dialogue. That like if we talk about things, people will like discover that you know we don't know what we're talking about. And that if you really have the truth on your side, you're not afraid to talk to people about it. So dialogue has been a core value of what we've done from the start. And so just like a small thing we do is there's a question and answer period at the end of every sermon. You know, like I preach, I you know do 20, 25 minutes, whatever, on what I'm talking about. And then there's time for people to just come back at us and say, well, what did you think? What did you like? What did you not like? Do you have any questions? Uh, we feel like that's been really important and really helpful. Um, we've tried to do some other ways. I mean, we've tried some things. We've tried to allow people to tweet questions during the sermon. Uh, people still feel weird about bringing their phone out in church, I think, because that didn't work as well as we thought it would. Uh, we've tried different interactive stuff, too. Um, Preston Cottrell is kind of my right-hand man. It helps me work on stuff. Uh, Preston's an artist. I went to art high school and was really into that um, kind of world. And so we've done some different things that are a little more expressive or artistic as far as people engaging in worship. That was a lot easier when we were doing like once a month preview services. Now that we're on that hamster wheel of weekly services, that stuff doesn't happen as much as I'd like. <laughs> yeah. um, so and the other thing we try to run called Theology Chat. Uh, so our Theology Chats, um, we kind of pick a subject that is um, – makes it hard for people to believe, uh, makes it hard for people to have faith. Uh, I think some people call these like defeater beliefs. And nice. um, we attack, we kind of go at those things and say, well, let's, let's discuss this. And the idea is you can come no matter who you are, no matter how much belief you have or how much doubt you have, and ask what you want to ask. Don't worry about your question being like offensive or you know, blasphemous or whatever. Like wherever you're at, that's okay. Come and ask these things. And engage in this conversation because we think that dialogue is important. And we think that's you know, part of the way people f- 
find God. So it's a big part of what we try to do with unchurched people. Mm. Awesome. Man, well, this that. is That's this cool. is rich, so rich that it's like hard. Like I, I want to steer us to our official questions, but this has been really good. We may <laughs> just we need to have have some more open ended uh, conversations with you right. about a few things because I yeah. think, uh, man, yeah, you guys are just you're doing some cool stuff. Um, so let's but let's talk big picture. Like, um, I so we call this tear gas and gum drops. And so right. what I'd love to hear is one comes from that famous passage, that, about that famous passage the in the third book of right. Luke, um, where Jesus... well, it's in revelation. You're just not properly decoding revelation. <laughs> right. Right. Part of why we have this podcast outside of just, you know, wanting to hear ourselves talk a lot is we want to establish uh, community uh, across a, a, a wide range of people, and uh, we wanted to normalize both successes and failures, and 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 share our own stories, share our own sweet moments of ministry, but also share our, our pains and our struggles. So, do you want to talk about our your tear gas? Let's talk about tear gas moments first. So, our tear gas sure. moments we're defining as uh, kind of that a, a painful moment in your ministry, and and. What did you learn from that experience, uh, and how did how has that shaped you, uh, and what you do at the feast? Yeah, so I really have appreciated like how honest people are on your podcast about talking about these things, and I think it's really cool you guys have engaged that. So I feel bad. My biggest tear gas moment you will not get today. It is still mm. uh, oh. it is still in process. Okay. So okay. it would not be fair to the individuals involved for me to talk about it today. So I just want to say that I feel like I'm like holding out on you guys, but um, I'll pick another one that's that's not great. Um, now all the audience this, is like, yeah. Man, well, hey, let me just say real me? quick: if you're less than six months in, like I would say, so we're like basically two years ahead of you. I would say from like the year of pre-launch that we did to maybe six months ago, like every Sunday I was like, this might be our last Sunday, like. If somebody <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. if somebody sneezes, this thing could, and that was like this constant panic. Um, so like whatever yeah, you're struggling a, with, it's a thing, and it's part of we, it. We have a a buddy who was part of a church that just grew fantastically fast. You know, like fifty to two thousand in a couple of years. And I remember apparently he was saying, even if we when we had a thousand people showing up, it was like. Mm-hmm. Every week I thought they're just all not going to show up this week. Like <laughs> it's just all over. Like it's going to be tough. So yeah, yeah, no there's definitely some of that stuff. I think um the hardest thing for me is the um when we really feel like we're making progress with somebody and in somebody's life and then it just takes a big step back and particularly mm-hmm. when there's it's actually harder when it's not my fault at all. Like mm-hmm. uh oh, we had this sure. one young woman that we were working with uh, we're just, you know, we're talking, we're getting to know her, making, building relationships, trying to slowly get into more spiritual things. And we had invited her to um, one of our Alpha courses. It's kind of an evangelistic thing we do. Google it if you don't know Alpha. Um, good. We're, yeah, so we're doing Alpha and we said, hey, you should come to this. It's a place to learn about sort of the basics of Christianity, but it's meant for non-Christians. Based on our conversations, I think you'd really like it. And she said, yeah, definitely, I'll be there. 
And then the night came, and we were waiting and waiting. She didn't show up. We went through it with the people who did show up. And I sent her just like an email. I was like, hey, just want to check in, see if you're doing okay. And she just said like, she was just very cryptic. It was something like, there's a variety of reasons, but I, I just don't feel comfortable doing this. I know I told you I did, and I did at the time, but there's just too many things for me to deal with that I, I just, I'm not ready to do this in my life right now. Hmm. And it was just, um, I think what I learned is that when Jesus tells the story about the sower, right. like he is not making this garbage up, right? Like <laughs> seriously, there are people that are just so packed down that Satan mm-hmm. can snap away the yeah. word so fast. Mm-hmm. And there are people whose lives choke out their spirituality. And it is not about me and how well I teach. It is not about the relationships that I'm building. Like there is so much stuff, whether it's family of origin or peer pressure or, um, you know, like all these intellectual questions, who knows, drug abuse, you know, relationships. There's all this stuff that can destroy the work that God's trying to do in planting seeds in people's Mm. lives. Yeah. And... The idea, I mean, even if you just take it as like, I don't think we should understand it this way, but even if you take that story as like simplistic, uh, simplistic math, that if you plant four seeds, mm-hmm. only one of them, you know, like only 25% of the time, yeah. you'll yeah. have success. Yeah. Well, that's and, just heartbreaking. It stinks, you know? Yeah. Yep. And, and I think that's, that's, that's something that we all deal with. Every minister, regardless of, um, experience, regardless of time, um, they always feel that. Like, man, if I just said it this way, if I just used this illustration, or if I had just gone to this, you know, baseball game or whatever, uh, and and that's something I have to constantly remind myself of. Yeah. Um, I mean, particularly in in like being in a new church in four years, in in those past four months, not years. Um, I, I still feel that pressure. Like I have to be like super impressive. I got to bring my A game every Sunday. If I don't, they're going to regret, you know, purchasing me as their new shiny minister <laughs> toy. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's that's hard, and I ugh, drives me crazy. But yeah, I think you make a really good point there. Uh, I think what I struggle with with that because you're totally dead on. But I also like I always want to be improving, and not only that, like. I know I am not the world's most winsome, charming, lovable character. What? I know that sometimes I come on a little strong. Um, I know You're my some, favorite Muppet. Sometimes I, th- I say some things that, that might not be received well. Um, you know, and I want to get better at that. And hopefully I'm less that way than I was when we went, all went to college together 10 years ago. Um, hopefully I'm oh, yeah. a little less that way. But uh, it's always going to be there, and it's always going to be a process. Um, and when you have those moments, well, I don't know if you either. Of you guys have any thoughts on this? Like, how do you balance that? Like the genuine, like I could be a better sower, and I need to work on that. Versus like just the like self doubt and self hatred. Versus, like, the other extreme of, like, well, I tried, forget that person, you know, some seeds right, are bad right. seeds, and, you know, like, how do you... Pearls and swine. Pearls and swine. Yeah, yeah how, do you, how do you basically, like, not hate yourself, but not, not be a jerk, um, and actually, like, move forward? Right. 
Yeah, I mean, that's really hard for me because, I mean, my general take on it is I can only control me. And so, like, mm-hmm. um, my general philosophy, and this may be a terrible way to live your life, but, like, my general philosophy is if something goes wrong, it's my fault. And if something goes right, it's God's fault. Yeah. You know? And so <laughs> that can lead me to just being, like, really down on myself in those moments. Mm-hmm. And... Sometimes people are like, well, Caleb, you know, ultimately this is in God's hands, you know, like don't confuse your role in it. And I'm like, yeah, but it just sounds like such a whiny, like loser approach to be like, well, you know, whatever. That's what God says. This is the constant like Wesleyan Armenian (laughs) guilt. Yeah. (laughs) Because like we don't, we don't have a strong like uh, sense of prevenient grace of God going before us. Like we don't meditate on that. We just know that like we have our responsibility. (laughs) So like I'm messing up. Right. I'm messing up. Yeah. Yep. You know, and I, and I think for me as being one who is, uh, has chronically been, uh, capped in self doubt, um, I, I probably, land in a very similar boat as that of if it's if it goes right then hey god showed up what do you do and if it goes wrong you're like hey i totally screwed the pooch on that one um and i i've kind of almost just stopped caring about that kind of stuff i've almost just kind of and and maybe this is the this is a bad way to do it i've stopped caring about results so much um and just tried to keep my head down and keep focused on here's what i think i should be doing here's here's what i think i should be preaching on here's how i think i need to be uh, communicating with people. Here's how I need to be leading this ministry or that ministry. Um, and if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't. And maybe we learn from that. Maybe we don't, but let's just keep going. I guess I don't want to get bogged down, uh, too far into the, why didn't this person come to faith? You know, uh, and you make that point really well, that there are factors beyond our control, nothing we can do. Um, so why worry about them? You know, Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and this comes up in the, I think, you know, some of the parables you were talking about, Chris, as far as like, uh, Jesus talks about the seed that grows and nobody knows why or how Mm. it just does. Yeah. And that's very freeing. I I think the flip side, though, is, you know, I talked about this feast metaphor and this idea of the banquet master that's never satisfied. That really plays into this, though, because like if the core metaphor of our church is that we're hosting a feast and we're never happy with an empty chair, then that means when, when I have an empty chair, I'm supposed to be dissatisfied. Right. Like, right. I'm supposed to be displeased. Right. Um, and that not becoming a monster that controls you is hard. Yeah. yeah. So I think I actually do have, not that I'm, like, living this out, but I do think I know the solution from what, and what you just said made me think of it. But um, do you guys know Pete Holmes, uh, host podcast, You Made It Weird? Um, he's a stand-up guy who basically uh, went went to a Christian college because he, his mom told him he had to be a uh, um, a youth minister, and then he lost his faith um, and realized he his skill set only applied to stand-up. Uh, so, okay, so he's a stand-up guy like a comedian. Not but, like, yeah, oh, he's a real stand-up no, no, guy. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. He's both. He's both. He's actually yeah. really nice. He's, he's a good dude. Um, he's good. He's good friends with Rob Bell. And uh, he and that's Rob, why I know yeah, that. Yeah. So okay. he and Rob were talking about, and like he had the, he's like so proud of himself. He talks about, uh, I sent this tweet about after I saw Joel Osteen on TV one time that you know that like at like 10 59, Joel Osteen walks behind that curtain and he's like, 
that's how you do it, mother effer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but, and and his point is, is that that's not, um, that's not necessarily braggadociousness. There's like, um, there is a reasonable pride in craft and like, And, you know, like, because if you were a really great, if you've ever seen the movie uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi about the world's yes. greatest, yeah, yeah. and you you know how this man has been, is 70, 80 years old or whatever, and he spends hours getting, like, this tiny fin just perfect on a piece of sushi, because it's his craft. Um, and I, that's what I, I think that, like, I want to get to the point of, like, um, working on my craft Whatever that, you know, so what is the craft of an evangelist or what is the craft of a minister? Like name that and work on that. Take pride in crafting well. Um, Be, you know, reasonably critical when your craft doesn't work out well. Yeah. Um, And really what you're doing is you're shifting from, you're shifting from caring about the results of what you're doing to the mm, process to what you're doing. Right, right. You care so much about the quality of the process that that drives you instead of like whether it works or not, you know? Right, right. I like that. That's a good. So let's uh, shift gears a little bit uh, now that we've bemoaned our existences uh, and failures as ministers and people. Now that we've done uh, so poorly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and let's talk uh, about the gumdrops uh, of your of your ministry, Caleb. What are, what are the sweet things? What are the good things um, that you have been a part of as either setting up for the feast or actually as being – part of the feast and all of that. Yeah. I think one of the things, um, one of the things that frustrates me and I promise this is going somewhere good, but one of the things that frustrates me is like, you don't get these like, aha, Paul, you know, road to Damascus moments. Like you think Mm -hmm. you would, where like Mm -hmm. somebody just breaks down and accepts Jesus, you know, in this like amazing moment. It's all very slow process oriented sort of Mm -hmm. conversion. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think one of the best gumdrop moments, I went out, hang out, hung out with one of the guys that's part of our church. And um, what we're finding is we, we connect really well with sort of de-churched people, people that used to go to church and sort of stopped going. And like 10 years later, they meet us and they go, hey, I need to get back into this. Mm-hmm. Um, we wish we did better with unchurched, but it's just a process. I think it takes a while. Yeah. Um, but this is one of those guys, you know, he grew up um, pretty devout in his faith. Uh, was even interested in ministry for a while and then sort of just walked away from it and then sort of came back into it via our church. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, it just felt kind of mundane. And we're talking and he said, I try to, he said something along the lines of, I tell my friends and I try to tell people in my life that my life used to be really good and then slowly it got terrible. And then when I started going after Jesus again, it just got better again. And all of the stuff that was the worst parts of my life started to disappear as I started to pursue a relationship with Christ and I started to be part of your church. And that's why I'm engaged in it and that's why I love it. And I can't like, you know, that's like losing weight, you know, like you see it like in the mirror like half a pound at a time so you don't like see the difference until you do a before and after picture. And just like seeing that that says, yes, what we are doing is providing a context where people that were not sitting at the banquet table are now sitting at the banquet table. Mm. That just, that makes me ecstatic, you know, like that gets the, uh, the engine revving again to continue to do it. Um, and it just helps if that, in that moment, I just saw the starkness of the difference. Yeah. 
mm. that he had a true conversion story. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you watch uh, Willow Creek has some decent stuff about uh, telling your story in you know ninety seconds, and it's like you before Jesus and you after Jesus. Yeah, and like for me, it's a really boring story. It's like a guy that went to church all the time and was slightly obnoxious to a guy that goes to church all the time but slightly less obnoxious. <laughs> You know, but for him, it was like a total life transformation. Yeah. Everything got better. And that is helpful for me, man. That just gives me so much joy in what I do. That's cool. That's awesome, man. And I I love that you mentioned uh, the boringness of the story. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, because we, growing up, at least for me, it always felt like people who had good stories had to have. I need to be careful how I say this because I preached on it a few weeks ago and got in trouble with my story. Um, but they had to have that that Damascus Road. They had to have that super exciting moment where they were coming out of drug addiction or alcoholic, whatever. Uh, and, and those were the good stories. But but really, the details aren't aren't what's impressive. It's it's the change. It's it's the power of God moving in our lives differently. It's like when. Rob Bell said years ago, uh, during I think it was Velvet Elvis, and he's like, "Man, if you have a boring story, just steal someone else's because it's all the story of God." Uh, and and I love that you you're keeping that focus there. That um, the what excites you is the change, not necessarily the details of that yeah. kind of story. Well, That's- and it was really helpful, you know, like in our evangelism work too. Like um, Bill Hybels has a pretty good little book called "Just Walk Across the Room." which for me is a good evangelism book that's not it's not like oh here's the five steps to how to convert someone it's just mm-hmm. about praying for the spirit to give you opportunities to speak into people's lives and um in that book he talks about like he he modifies i think something called the angle scale is this right missiologists talk about like from right. negatives right. are unbelief positives are belief and the people move i think hybels makes it like negative 10 to positive 5 Negative 10 is totally hate Christianity or be mm-hmm. totally unknowledgeable about it. Positive 5 is like doing everything every moment for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, converting, moving somebody from a negative 8 to a negative 7 is evangelism. And it's yeah. successful evangelism. Yeah. If there's somebody yeah. in your life that hates church and then gets to know you and is now apathetic towards church, you have done good work for the Lord. Right, yeah. From yep. that hatred to the apathy. Yeah. And that is something we have to remember where we're at because mm-hmm. it's just it's a relatively unchurched environment. And so if I only count, you know, butts in the seat on Sunday morning, it's easy to get discouraged. Mm-hmm. But if it's people that have a more good regard towards Jesus after we're done talking with them, that's something that we can I think count as, as a success. Yeah. You know? yeah, I love that's that. Really that's it's really good. And I remember uh uh in one of my grad school classes, it was it was Oh, it was, it was a youth ministry class. Uh, they used that scale, and they said, um, if you try to move somebody, if you try to force them to go from a negative, like a negative three to a positive four, you're going to end up actually causing them to go in the reverse. That you're going to end okay. up having them mm-hmm. hate the thing more. So it's like, they use the analogy of like Coke and Pepsi. So if you try to force somebody to love Coke and hate Pepsi, then they're just going to – human qualities. They're just going to bear down on loving Coke more, and they're going to hate Pepsi even more. And so you have to move them gradually from five to four to three or five to, to three. But when we talk about evangelism, 
we tend to keep those in such stark terms of, well, they were lost, yeah. now they're found, and so you've got to get them from right. lost to found right. in that conversation. Right. Yeah, there's also just a, a humility in recognizing that even in those big moments that, um, like, for instance, the dude you mentioned, like, yeah, things got better when he got to your church, but, like, what what did it take for him to get to you and to your church? Right, right. Like, what were the steps there? Um, because that was on the angle scale too. <laughs> you you right. might have you might have gotten to you know get to you know help them pray the prayer or dunk them or whatever. But there were who knows how many seeds planted in them to get to that point. Um, yeah. So we we need to be humble about even when we do have those you know lightning moments. Yeah. Well, and Heibel's points out like we're obsessed with the negative to positive flip. Like when you do the negative one to the positive one, like that is what we focus on. Mm-hmm. And he has a great story about a guy that like swooped in, like someone he had worked with from like negative five to negative one. And then his buddy swooped in and got to do the negative one to positive one. He's like, I'm so angry. I mean, I'm not really angry, but I'm angry at that guy. Like, <laughs> right. I worked so hard. And then you're just going to come on in, you know? Like, right. It's like a guy that just doesn't run both ends of the floor and just sits under the basket, you know, waiting for the ball to come his way. He's like the hey. Shaquille O'Neal of. Uh, okay, I better not try to make sports references. Yeah, that's a good call. Let's just. Uh, uh, you just referenced Shaquille O'Neal. It's 2016, buddy. Let's. Did he play like a season ago? Two seasons? How long I don't know. Ago? I don't. It's a sports reference. I don't okay. know these things. I I don't know how to use. Stephen I have Curry noticed that comic Senate. books are a far better reference here than. It's than true. Sports. It's true. It's true. So it's like. <laughs> Oh no, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. Not going to work out well. We are going to go down the rabbit hole. Hey, let's uh, let's end with this, Caleb. Um, tell us just something. Uh, I'm, I'll, I'll be pretty broad and give you a couple options. Tell us something that you're excited about. So that could be like in ministry in general, in your ministry life, maybe a book that you're reading, maybe an app you're using on your device, uh, maybe a podcast or something. Like, what, what are some things that you're excited about in life and ministry right now? I think the thing, I don't know, this is more like on the ministry level, like the things that's happening in our church that's exciting me, is um, sort of second or third generational evangelism, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Uh, we're working really hard right now building to Easter, encouraging people to invite their friends to church. Mm-hmm. And when I have somebody who comes to church because they were invited by a friend, who was invited by a friend, who was invited by me, I love it. That yeah. is super exciting. Yeah. Like that's exactly what's got to happen. Because most of the, honestly, most of the churches I grew up in, you hired an evangelist and it was their job to bring in new people. And so if the church was not growing, it's because the guy that you were paying was not doing it. Mm-hmm. And that's just not the way the early church grew. Like right. when you look at how fast the early church expanded, it did it because everybody was so excited about it. They were telling their neighbors. Mm. And so... Um, you know, we got an email this week from some said, Hey, I'm invite Easter. Cause I have, you know, these people that I'm going to invite that is, that's super exciting. And that's the next stages for us. I mean, a lot of our growth as a church has been people that Fran and I have connected with, but we got to move past that if we're ever going to get any bigger, if we're ever going to reach more people. And so I, I guess that's the thing that I'm most excited about. Um, the idea of changing into a coach for people sharing their faith as mm-hmm. much as it's about me sharing my faith. 
is just something that's that's cool. And it just seems like we've got some maturity developing in people that we're going to start to do that more and more. And so, yeah, I think that's that's the next stage where we've got to go. Um, I think when we talk about growth barriers, you know, this is the whole thing in the church planning world of like all these different ceilings you hit. I think we're at a ceiling right now that's the, you know, everybody's got to be involved in sharing with their friends ceiling. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's cool to see us cool. start to break this stuff. That's awesome. Wow. Well, if let me say this, and I think this, just hearing that, um, I, and I, one of the things that I love about this is we get to say to you, Caleb, you're doing a cool thing right now, and not you know not like some kind of hipster, like everyone wants to do something that's cool, but you're doing a cool thing and it's an effective thing and it's it's a kingdom thing, and uh, you know I love witnessing that on the outside of, of I've been you know you come up on my Facebook of, hey, PBD, we're doing this preview service. And it's like, whoa, that's a really awesome idea. I hope that's going really well. Or, hey, we're doing a theology chat. Or, or you know, you, I've gotten to see that from, from a distance. And I am amazed. I'm amazed at the things that you're doing right now. And, I, you know, you're not, you're not 5,000 people. But in the last four months, I just think it's really cool to hear that you're engaging people and you're conversating with them and you're not getting sucked into the traditions or, or I know, I know there's drama in, in, in church planning, particularly in the Northeast, but man, it just feels like you're doing some good stuff there. And I, I hope and I pray that you continue to do that because I'm encouraged by it. All right. You want to record a little closer here real quick? Right. Yes. And then I will tell you what I was going to tell you. Okay. Um, well, that was fun. Yeah, good yeah, to catch up with time. Caleb. Yeah, yeah. Uh, doing some good stuff. I love that a lot of my friends are church planters. Yeah. Uh, well, and it's good. cool they're to see. People. Like for me, like uh, you know, he and I haven't really kept in touch, and um, he's just so positive. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like he's had as hard of a road as you or I or anyone else we've had on this podcast. But he's like so upbeat about it, and. Um, cool things are happening there i'd love to get yeah. out there and see what they're doing well um so how can people continue this conversation with us <laughs> well they can continue this conversation by uh talking to us on the facebook facebook search tear comments, gas and gumdrops uh tear gas and gumdrops uh what we'd love for you to do if you're listening to this and you liked it mm-hmm. uh go to itunes mm-hmm. subscribe to it uh give it a five-star rating and uh, then find other podcast people you like and tell them about us and mm-hmm. and have them contact us so we can interview them as well. Because, you know, I love this. I love getting to interview people totally. uh, and hear, hear other perspectives because they're cool. They're cool yep. people. Uh, so search Tear Gas and Gumdrops on Facebook, on iTunes. Uh, yeah, those are the places. You can <laughs> Google us. Google it. Like- Google the machine. Just Google. remember, tear gas is two words. <laughs> you'll find it eventually. Yeah, yeah, you'll figure it out. Spelling. Awesome. Well, that's awesome. fun, man. All it's right. fun, man. Peace cool. out. Bye, guys. All right.